Hey everybody, Keith here, live in the lab, live in the Business Athlete Performance Lab. I promised you all yesterday, we were kicking things off this week, Wednesday, the first, the second show, Brian Tritt was our first one a couple weeks ago. We are in the lab today with Oliver Brown, alpinist, adventure, founder, True Summit Adventures, mountain leader, Atlantic rower, adventure therapist, nonprofit founder, a city summit, blogger, podcaster. I am more than pleased today to introduce all of you, Oliver Brown, live in the lab in the Business Athlete Performance Lab. Oliver, welcome to the show today. Thanks, Thanks very so much. much. Good, Good to, to be, be here. here. Something, something is going well, well when you get, get invitations, invitations. Something you've, you've done, done something, something right. right. So, so always, always good, good to be asked. Thank, Thank you. you. It's excellent. It's funny because when I reached out and I said, hey, I see we have some mutual friends and I took a look at your profile and I saw your accomplishments, you know, the places you've been, the things you've done. And you so humbly reached back and said, well, I don't know about my accomplishments. And I'm like, come on. You've been to some, you've done some really spectacular things, Oliver. Why don't we jump, jump right in of some of these spectacular things that you have accomplished? Highlight of your Alpine career. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, mean probably, probably actually my, probably, probably the Everest, Everest attempt, attempt I did. I, I tried Everest in 21, I didn't summit. summit. In, in many, many ways, ways, it was, it was a disaster, disaster, the whole thing, thing but in other ways, it was one of the best experiences of my life. life. So, so I think that was, in terms of, you know, the experiences I've had, I think that was pretty, pretty phenomenal. I think rowing the Atlantic was, that was more of a process. That was something that it took a long time and it was very well planned. The actual, the actual crossing, crossing there was, was a very, very small part of it in the end. It actually was, was, was pretty straightforward. straightforward. It was, you know, it was, it was the three or four hours a day on the, the indoor rower in the build-up for a year that really hurt. The, the actual, actual crossing was like a vacation. vacation. It's interesting because you talk about the, the Everest attempt and then the rowing, but yet you're spending more time talking about the process to achieve both those things. Talk about the process to achieve. So we, we as human beings, we all say to ourselves, okay, I want to do that. I want to go and climb a mountain or I want to, I want to go and achieve something spectacular, but we rarely talk about the process, Oliver. Yeah, I think that's just, I'll just, I'll take, just take you back, back a little bit further. Before, before I was an adventurer, I was a professional, professional polo player. player. Yeah. And, and I, played I played polo, I'm 41, I'm 41 now. I played professionally from early, now after university, when I graduated university, until I was 35, I played polo on horses professionally. Yes. And that's a period I, I can look back on and say it was amazing. But at the time, it was very, it went very fast. There was, a, it was something that I, I can't say that I appreciated at the time. I didn't understand all the things that were happening, how great it was. And I didn't see it necessarily as a process or a journey. I just saw it as, as a series, these series of events where you try to give it all your all. And, and as, as a result, result and people, people see, say, say this to me when they see, see the photo, photo no, like, you, you've, you've won a tournament and, you know, there's a picture of you with your team, your team and they say, why, why are you smiling? And you're saying, because, because I'm just relieved that we've won. won. And I think, I think that's, that's something that I take from adventures is that, and probably at the beginning, I was very summit focused. You know, I would rush to the top. I would try to beat everybody. And now I can see, and the Atlantic Row is a good example of this, and it's, and, and about, about the Everest, Everest climb as well as how I came to see it afterwards. Is it the process is the goal? The process is the reward. The process is the result. The, the things that are happening over over the, that's the value. The, the bit the, the bit at the top, the summit, you know, getting a good time, winning the race. That's like the gin in the Campari, but it's just a small part of it. So that's kind of what I found over time. That's interesting, Oliver. Would you agree then that? While, while the process is the journey to, to accomplish the end, we, 
the process is the most difficult thing for every human being. Let, let me expand. So I have a friend of mine, a colleague of mine, we talk about here in the lab and people come to him for training advice and for workout programs and for coaching advice and people fail. And as he says, Keith, the biggest challenge that everybody has is doing the same thing every single day. The process to learn how to go and climb a mountain. You got to say to yourself, okay, I got to go train for a hundred days and I got to do the same boring things the entire time for a hundred days to go perhaps achieve this goal. It's fine. What you're saying is it's finding the way to enjoy the process consistently, isn't it? Because when you get to the point of then doing what you're training for, that is just the icing on the cake, isn't it? Yeah, I think, I think, I think the, one, one of the hardest, hardest things, things is to have the consistency, consistency of time. time. If you're yeah. really trying to achieve something, it's to have that consistency over time. Being in these processes where there's an end aim, this period of, it's like the end of your exam. The Atlantic rowing race was like the end of your exam. The race was the exam. How well have you prepared for this? And so the people that did well in that race, you know, because you arrive in the Canary Islands, you know, about to leave, there's a lot of peacocking for a week and there's, you know, there were special forces teams, all these kind of people that say they want it really badly, say that they're going to do really well. And actually um, wanting it isn't enough. You've got to, wanting it is really, is from day one, from when, you know, when you start, okay, I'm going to start training for this event. You've got to want it on every day. You can't turn up for an event and say, I really want this now. Because you'll get found out that's, that is what real discipline is consistency. And you get that for preparing for those events and you really see how it's going to unfold a long way out. And I knew in that race, for example, we were going to do super well. And, and, I, and I wasn't intimidated by any of the teams. There was a, a US Navy SEAL team and I knew, I didn't tell them, but I knew talking to them that I was going to beat them. I could just, I just had a, I knew I, I couldn't prepare any better than this. Consistency, hard work, discipline. But what was it inside of you, Oliver, that when you looked at your competition, that you knew you were going to win? Oh, we, we didn't, didn't win. We, we came, came second. second. I knew we were going to do well. I think, you know, I remember on the morning of the race, because you're lined up in, in the harbor and each team, it's a staggered start. And the team next to me, I was talking to them. And one of the guys looked really nervous. And he said to me, he goes, are you nervous? And I said, no. And I, you know, he's like, I'm really nervous. And for me, I was nervous because I'd prepared well, because I'd had these experiences over a period of years of doing these expeditions. And for me, it was a vacation. I couldn't wait to get out there and see what I could do. But I think it was, it was a product of all, of all this process. It gave me the confidence, definitely. One of the things we like to provide our viewers and our listeners is value, obviously, in this world of grabbing everybody's attention. What would you say to somebody who's having troubles being consistent, who, who wants to achieve a big goal, but you know, it's like, oh man, I got to do this again today. And oh man, I just can't execute. How do you find it in yourself to execute consistently so you can go do adventurous and, and go accomplish significant things? What's the yeah, I mean, yeah, probably, you know, going, going before, before the road, I, I, went, I went through, through a, a big period of running. running. In, yeah, I think 2019, 2017, 2018, 2019, and I would run every day. And sometimes I would run 100 kilometers a week. Sometimes I would run 150. And But I would pretty much run every day. The least I would run would be 10K. And someday I lived at a house at the time in London, and I would sit at the bottom of the stairs by the back door. And sometimes it would take me half an hour just to put the shoes on and get out the door. And, and 
But I, I always went, went, and I think I when, on the days when I had more things to do, it would, it would give me this urgency by being self-employed. Sometimes it would take me half an hour, but I had this kind of just this, you know, in a commitment to myself, I was like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to get. I had a goal that I wanted to reach. I wanted to run a marathon at a certain time, and I knew what it would take to get there. And, and I, I didn't, didn't want to let, let myself, myself down. down. I, I think, think the key, key is to, you know, to start small. When I, when I started running, I was 105 kilos. You know, when I played polo, I'd been 85. And then, you know, I'd had this period of not being so active. And in this three years or so, I got really quite big. And I had this kind of inflection point where I was like, I'm going to get fit. I'm going to get, I'm really going to kickstart, you know, what I'm doing. So the first time I went out, I think I only could run about 3K. You know, no, I, get, I, I just gave myself these like bites. So today, today I'm going to run 3K. I'll do that, you that you know, 3K for And then when, when I can run 5K, and I just kept stacking and stacking. And stacking. I, I gave myself manageable, you know. And so, so I didn't, didn't go, go from zero to running at least 10K every day. Sometimes I'd run 20K a day. And I remember doing, I did a 100-mile week, and that was 21K a day for seven days. That was something that I built up to. You know, you have to give you have to give yourself time. Pace is the biggest, is your biggest friend in all these things. How has age played a role? with patience. So I'll volunteer. So I hit the big five Oh, last year, hitting 51 this year. And I will tell you, I enjoy the process more. I take the time to enjoy the process more. I used to race to the top of the mountain like yourself, right? It's like, oh, well, let's get there. And then I went and climbed Kilimanjaro and I learned the old pole pole. <laughs> right. If I just step one foot after the other, I will get to the top. It was, it was a remarkable accomplishment for me. Just recognizing that the slower I went, the faster I went. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Go, go slow, slow to go, go fast. fast. That's, That's very true. true. And that, that is something that you can, you know, that you will learn from, from, from adventures. I think it's, uh, yeah, you know, getting all the definitions when, when you're young, you want everything to happen to you very quickly. You expect things to happen very quickly. And sometimes you get these like slices of luck. And so you assume that you're always going to be this lucky or things are going to always be this easy. That, that definitely happened to me. It was a realization as I got older that you're not always going to have fall on your feet. And, and so, so I think, yeah, yeah as, as you get, get older, older you, you, you have, have to learn to become, to become more patient. patient. Uh, adventures, adventures are a great way of learning patient. If you do take, they, they take time and you, you can't rush them. them. And actually, there's, there's, there's also a feeling, feeling that you shouldn't rush them where you wouldn't want them to be rushed. You want to, unless you're a speed climber, in which case it's a rush. But at the same time, I think for those guys that are doing things quickly, the time also slows down for yeah, yeah, I think, I think if, if you're someone, someone that, that is impatient, impatient learning, you know, going on a big adventure or a big climb is a great way to, to slow yourself down, definitely. Oliver, you said that you, there was an inflection point. I'll use a metaphor. You looked in the mirror and you're like, I'm not happy with myself, so I need to go do something about it. So it was basically yeah. you said, I'm going to go do three kilometers today, maybe five kilometers next week. And it was just bite-sized chunks. Yeah, yeah, I was, I was working, working in, in finance in Switzerland, and I realized that I had got big, and I was uncomfortable, and my clothes were tight, and I just didn't have the mobility that I'd had when I was younger, when I'd been playing polo, and you know, I was like, I had just had this kind of moment where I was like, I'm really going to get fit now, and yeah, I got super fit from that, the running, and then the climbing, and that's how I ended up doing adventures as a living, or climbing as a living. So what you're saying then is it was a turning point for you. It was a turning point for your life. Oh, massively. massively yeah. 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 That's, uh, that's remarkable. So you moved from finance, you moved to adventure, you, and it's clear you've never looked back. No, I just, just stacking, stacking adventure on adventure, adventure and, and trying to progress my adventure, adventure business, business, get other people, get other people coming on adventures. adventures. 
showing them what they can take from climbing. Yeah, that's that's what I like doing. Exploring new places, exploring new mountains. Yeah. So highlights highlight for adventure for you is is it preparing for it is it is it getting it done is it meeting the people what's the best part of the adventure for you i think i I knew this from playing playing polo is that the actually the the best bit about playing polo was probably having the horses having the people that that work with the horses and you had this kind of camaraderie and community and i think that is the same with travel you know with adventure travel is that i have the people that I go with, I have I have my clients, but I also have my partners in the place that we go to. I think so. I think that the community is a big part of it. I think physical struggle is is, is another part of it. I enjoy that bit. I enjoy testing myself. I enjoy testing my resilience. I enjoy seeing if I've improved over time. And I like that when I'm not so much when I'm with my clients, but when I'm doing the things for my you know, I, I like to see if I can attempt things that are might maybe more technical that that um, that you, know, you have to be, have a d- demonstrate a greater degree of self reliance all these things and i think that's the other bit is the actual physical nature of it and seeing what you seeing how you can improve seeing your skills seeing your skill level yes. develop i think that really gives me pleasure so that the community and obviously the, the the natural beauty of the nature i'm in these places and sometimes i just have to pinch myself and you would know this from kilimanjaro and I climbed Kilimanjaro in 2019 and I had to pinch myself. I was like, wow, two years ago, you know, I was 105 kilos. I couldn't run 3K and now I'm charging up, you know, this incredible landscape and seeing this beautiful place. And yeah, I think that's the final bit of the jigsaw is the, excuse me, is, is in these incredible places. It, that That's, I can relate to that. I've been fortunate to travel the world through either work and then post work through adventure. And when you see the world through the eyes of adventure, it really does change your perspective on the world, doesn't it? You, you, you get off the beaten path, you interact with the locals, you, you, especially if you can really get off that beaten path and do some adventures that perhaps others would not regularly do. It really does open your eyes to what's beyond what's in front of us, doesn't it? Yeah, totally. Yeah, totally. It's a, it's a totally different formula for experience and how you experience the world and you know, how that reflects back on you, you know, what, what you can learn about other cultures, you know, how that, you know, influences you going forward, how you come to, how you come to see the world and yourself. Excuse yes, me. Yeah. <clears throat> Let's talk a little bit about Kilimanjaro, Oliver. So we both have climbed it. How many times have you been to the top? Four. Four times. We'll just do a water break because we know we have to drink lots of water climbing that mountain and climbing down. Uh, what routes have you taken? <clears throat> I've only done the Machame. Mashami, okay. So I did Lamosho. I uh, did Lamosho over, is it eight days? Eight days? We did <coughs> Mashami. Five days? Seven days? So I do the seven day. Seven and and Mashami and Lamosho are actually very similar because yeah. they share sort of 75% of the route. I, I, see uh, it's just, I remember where they converged. I can see it in my head. They converge. Where, yeah, where they converged going up to. Um, uh, Lava Tower. That's right. Yes, that's exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When was your last time with Kilimanjaro? So I did two summits in June. I'm actually going next week as well for another one. So third time this year. That's spectacular. So it's somebody listening going, oh my God, you've done Kilimanjaro three times. You speak about it like it's just la-di-da. I think Kilimanjaro is a great, it's a great adventure. It's a great challenge. I think 
it's it's the right amount of hard. You know, so if you haven't been to altitude before, or if you haven't done a multi-day yeah. trek, you're not used to camping, I think it's the right amount of hard, but it's also achievable for most people if they're prepared properly. Yes. If they're physically fit and they, and they come with, you know, with you know, the idea that there is going to be something of a test. And But yeah, I think it's achievable for most people. Oliver, what's the hardest part of climbing Kilimanjaro from your point of view? I think definitely the bit that people find the hardest is the summit night. And it might, you know, typically people haven't done a summit night before. And, so, you know, there's, you have this fatigue, you've, you know, you've had several days of camping, you're already maybe not particularly well rested, you're already tired, muscles are hurting. And then you have this anxiety because you know, you've got to wake up at 11, you know, you go to bed at 6, 37, you've got to wake up at 11. Typically, most people don't sleep during that period. When I first started climbing, I never slept. Now, I'm accustomed to it, so I sleep in that period. But I think that's what people find hard is that they don't sleep. And then, you know, they have this sort of eight-hour schlep to the top. they got to fight the altitude. You know, and I think that's also difficult because it's a new sensation for people. You, know, you can feel quite un unnerved by it. It's a new sensation. Um, you feel sick, typically, but you can also feel disorientated as well. So I think that is the hardest bit. But for people that, that just aren't used to being on expedition, just being camping for, for seven nights is, is challenging as well. So it's different for different people. It's interesting to hear you say that, uh, what you just said, Oliver, because that's what struck me when I spoke with people following my experience was not so much the physical idea of climbing the mountain, was the not showering for seven days, not having proper restroom facilities for seven days. I'm not saying that for myself. I'm just saying that in a general sense that if somebody's not prepared to basically, yep. like you said, camp in the middle of nowhere and not have any facilities for seven days, that's mentally maybe the hardest part of the whole experience, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. I think that in terms of what are the lessons yes. for, for adventures or for climbing expeditions, and I think... Kilimanjaro is a light version of it when you look at the, all of the adventures you can do. But one of the main things that, you know, and the Atlantic Row is great for teaching you this, is that you actually need a lot less than you think. In, in you need far fewer things and you need far fewer things to happen to you. If you don't have a shower, yeah. even you don't brush your hair, you, don't, you know, you don't sleep for seven or eight hours. This isn't the end of the world. And when I did the Atlantic Row, I didn't sleep for more than you know, an hour and a half I probably didn't even sleep for more than an hour for, for 32 days. Didn't have more than, I had one pair of shorts and one t-shirt. You need you know, less than you think. And so Kilimanjaro is a great, you know, bite-sized way of seeing, you know, it's good to have these periods of lightening, lightening your load because you can actually take that back and say, I don't need so many things, or I don't need to buy this, or I don't need so much food, whatever it might be that you're, you're having too much of. It's a great way to see that. It's a... It's remarkable to hear you say that. I, I did a seven-day fast uh, about a year ago or a year and a half ago, and I was like, I'm going to try it out. So I fasted for seven days. And what it taught me was what I didn't need either. And what I mean by that statement is that we're so programmed to, like, oh, it's breakfast, I should eat. Oh, it's lunch, I should eat. Oh, it's dinner time, it's time to eat. And we all just have dinner. We all got to socially get together and have a dinner when I'm not trying to come across saying people don't eat or let's all fast together but just your statement on what we actually don't need right and i'm sure you've seen with your own customers coming to their kilimanjaro trip they probably bring suitcases and suitcases i'm embellishing a little bit and you're like nah you actually don't need that so to hear you say you went 32 days of rowing with maybe an hour of sleep and a little bit of food here and there that must have been a real eye-opener for you as to what you actually need to exist and what you don't really need to exist and what we do just yeah, by, I'm, and I'm sorry, we want just to finish that thought. 
and what we do just because we've been accustomed to doing it, right? Oh, it's time to eat. We should eat, right? Or we should sleep for eight yeah. hours. That's just what we do, right? But yet, if you're trying to achieve greatness, maybe sometimes we got to change the rules a little bit. Yeah, I think that's true. That there's a lot of there's a lot of social conditioning and programming that is not helpful for you. I, I do fasting every day. I do, you know I don't eat between eight p.m. and twelve p.m. Yeah, so I'm, I, an, I'm an IF. I'm the same way. I don't. Uh, I stop eating around eight nine o'clock at night unless there's a peanut butter jar in front of me, and then I got to fight with myself and the peanut butter jar. Uh, and but then I I fast in the the next day at four o'clock five is my I do fifteen sixteen hour fast myself. Yeah, I used to do this the Sunday, I think Sunday 6 until Tuesday 12. So you miss out all of Monday. And yeah, it's it's a great way of, uh, of having a reset. You feel super energized. I, I'd like to get back into that. That was a habit that I had in during the pandemic, actually. I should get back into it because it was amazing. Yeah, but I, I do that 8 till 12 every day. Good for you. I find I have more clarity when I'm not distracted by thinking about having to eat. And I'm not suggesting, I'm not saying think... I just, it's one less thing to think about, right? It's like, okay, I'm disciplined. I'm on a path. I got a program on a discipline. It's just, I've only been eating because society tells me it's time to eat, but I'm not really hungry though. So you can't, I've just adopted these principles of an intermittent fasting works. Like sounds like it works for you. Yeah. I think all these, all these disciplines like fasting, whatever they might be, yeah. I feel like they are, they're contagious. So if you do, so I don't drink alcohol, for example. So if, if you go on a run, of, I don't know, 100 days of not drinking, or you do 100 days of fasting, whatever it might be, you will find that this discipline, it creeps sideways into other things that you're doing. I think the learning to ignore distractions, and there's a lot of, there's a lot of people that, especially that are working from home, they're head in the fridge the whole time. Yes. And so yeah. if, you, if you can get into that, if you can form these habits, you'll find they creep into other areas of your life for sure. It's interesting, Oliver, because I've always... <laughs> I've worked from home or remotely my entire life and, and it's always worked well for me because I can go into the fridge and eat what I want to eat instead of having to go to a restaurant and not eating what I don't want to eat or, or having, or going, okay, what can I eat off the menu that I want to eat? So working from home has been helpful for me because I can just pick and select good food all of the time. I working out more difficult for me because I'm faced with all these restaurant choices that I don't want to have. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, the same. You know, I've worked in. I worked from home all my life. I played polo. I had my own horses. I had, mm -hmm. you know, you know, that was my office. And then the in between years, yeah, there was. You, know, you had the, the snacks in the communal kitchen. There was this kind of you know, the unhealthy habits actually crept in from there. They used to do after work drinks the whole time. This was a cultural office after work on Thursdays and Fridays, even maybe sometimes Wednesday. Everyone would get together. They would go for drinks and. I remember the first office job that I had, they had this thing, it was called pie in a pint, where you went in at lunchtime on a Friday, you went and ate a pie and you had a pint. Normally it was like two or three pints. So these are kind of like unhealthy office habits. That, um, yes. They're not necessarily good for you. You mentioned, you said you don't have a drink. Can we go on that path about, uh, about, about that choice you've made in your life? Because people... Yeah. Again, I, we're here in the lab talking about the business athlete performance lab, and I'm a big believer in you know, the philosophies that drive high performance business and high performance athletics are the same. Clearly, you live them. And you said a few moments ago that alcohol is not part of your lifestyle. Talk about that a little bit, Oliver. Yeah, so I haven't had a, I haven't had alcohol for more than six years. I would, you, you know, know to, the same person. To people, yeah. I would say to people, if you're interested in a simple life hack, you, if you want to make your life significantly better, and you're somebody that, that drinks regularly. Uh, has uh, two or three drinks, maybe three or four times a week. 
the single easiest life hack I can recommend to you is to stop drinking alcohol. Uh, there won't be a single part of your life that doesn't improve immediately. You know, you might, your, your social life, your interactions with your friends might decrease to begin with, but you'll move past that quite quickly. I stopped drinking in 2017 because I wanted to I had I wanted to have this period where I got fit. I got you know I wanted to lose weight, but I also wanted to. I was looking for you know how can I improve? How can I get better? And I could see that I was somebody that was very was very keen to go. If someone said, "Hey, let's go for a drink after work," I'd be like, "Yeah, let's go." And I was a very social person, and I lived in Zurich during this period. I was like an expat, so. Yeah, that was, I, I said, I'll, during this period where I was trying to get fit and I wanted to run the London Marathon, I was like, I'm going, for consistency's sake, I'm going to give up alcohol. And I did it for a year. And after that first year, I could see it was one of the best things I'd ever done. So just after that, I said, well, I'm going to do two years just to show people that I can. Or then I've never gone back. I've never felt any urge to. I don't miss anything about it. I think it's, yeah. I think it's yeah, one of the best things I've ever done for myself, for my performance, for everything, all the things I'm doing, I, that's like the bedrock, the consistency. If you want to have consistency, you want to train, just get rid of alcohol immediately. I can completely relate to that. I, I myself stopped uh, imbibing in 2017 and it would be the greatest life hack I could suggest to you as well. I just, it's, it just seems to be clear, doesn't it? When you remove that and the benefits that I have been able to have from that have been nothing short of amazing. So I applaud you that. How do you handle people when they question you saying, are you judging me for drinking Oliver? How do you, how do you handle that conversation with somebody? No, I think the main thing is to not when you, cause I know people that drink too much and I have friends that drink too much, but I don't say you, know, you should stop drinking. You know, I'm concerned for them. Sometimes I'll reach out to them and say, you do you need to have a chat or something? I don't judge anybody for drinking. Or exactly. People, and typically I'm not really in situations now where people are drinking. I don't go to bars. You know, if I go to a restaurant, I, I don't, I, but yeah, I don't, so I'm not really in situations where people are drinking much. So let's talk a little bit. Let's shift gears then. Let's shift gears from drink. We, we've given everybody the life hack. Hey, if you want a quick life hack, uh, get that out of your life. And no judgment, Oliver and Keith, no judge. We just, it's a choice we've made, uh, but no judgment on alcohol. We've all had our fun with it. So let's shift gears. Let's shift gears to true summit adventures. So talk a little bit about the kinds of curated adventures that true summit offers. Yeah, so we are you know, we're a, we are an adventure travel business. We're focused mainly on mountain adventures, so high altitude mountaineering and trekking. We're going to do well. It was my intention when we started to do other types of adventures, things mm -hmm. that I'm interested in: long distance cycling, uh, horse adventures. Because obviously, with polo, I love I love riding. I think the nature is that you could only add so many itineraries at a time, right? You know, we're essentially a mountaineering adventure company. Okay. And we, you know, we climb in places that I like climbing or where I think it's great to climb. And this is you know, South America, the Himalayas in Nepal. And I do, because I'm British and I'm based in the UK, I do UK mountain adventures for, for private individuals and also for companies. But we're, you know, we're a boutique company. Our trips aren't the cheapest. They're typically, we stay in the nicest accommodation or the most interesting accommodation but we yeah we're, we're operating in amazing places ecuador nepal tanzania obviously we just uh, we were about to have our first morocco trip but that's very sadly been cancelled because of the awful thing that's happened there so but I, i'm sure in time the moroccan people are so amazing what's happened is is awful but they'll get back and they'll 
they'll fix it. We'll, we'll get out there as soon as we can. We're in these different places. It's all on the website. Um, but yeah, we just, we go where we think there's uh, incredible experiences to be had, physical experiences, but also spiritual ones. And I have this new uh, service line, Transformation Through Next, which is a collaboration with a transformational life coach. Um, we've got the first edition next week. It's in Kilimanjaro. So this is... Um, it's going to be a series of, of physical adventures, but with transformational life coaching layered over the top. So, I, you know, for me, you know, I want to, I want you know people to have a life changing or at least life affirming experiences when they come with us when they climb. I think that's what adventure really is for. It's it's a incredibly powerful vehicle for self discovery, and that's what I want. I want to, I want people to come and experience. So, is that what you, is that what you think is the motivator for people when they want when they sign up with you Oliver is it they're looking to change their life they want a life-changing experience is that why is that a typical customer of yours who's like hey Oliver I need to change my life or I need to do something different help me get to the top of the mountain help me do this is that typically what you experience I think some people definitely have that but I think other people are just people that love having extraordinary life experiences and have already had lots of extraordinary life experiences and they're they are looking for more so it's a mix. I have people that uh, have maybe have had a very sedentary lifestyle. Some discovered want, they want to get become more physical with themselves, and then they do one, and they say, "Wow, this has really been transformational for me." And they get they get more into it. But I think you know, it's a mix. We have some people that are just out and out alpinists, and they just love climbing and they love the technical nature of climbing. But yeah, there's also you know, these people that there are clients of mine or people that come that are, are looking for a transformational experience. And it might not, it might, the transformation they're seeking might not be just for themselves. It might be that I've had people come with somebody else into intra-family relationship that they want to see influenced, changed, maybe transformed also. So there are lots of powerful experiences to be had and they vary from person to person and place to place. Oliver, how do you handle somebody who doesn't summit, who has come on an adventure with you and is determined to accomplish their goal and they don't achieve it. I, when I went to Mount Everest, I didn't summit. And mm. it came at a period when I was on a roll and I really thought that I was unstoppable. And, you know, the climbing Mount Everest is, it's a quite big undertaking. And for me at the time, it was a big undertaking financially. And so to make this decision that I'm ready, that I'm going to go and do it, I'm going to invest in the money. I'm, when I didn't summit, it was hugely disappointing. I mean, like overwhelmingly disappointing. And I got a very nice message from an elite alpinist and North Face athlete, David Gottler. And in the message said something like this. He said, I turned back so many times, sometimes at base camp, sometimes 100 meters from the summit, sometimes 10 meters from the summit. But that's how the game is. If you want to continue to play, and you want to stay alive. And that really gave me some comfort. And I, it was lucky also that I had this a new project to jump straight into when I got back from Nepal. I was in a rowing race from Ibiza to Barcelona. You know, I didn't really have time to be too down in the dumps. But I say that to people that I know you're disappointed. I've been there. I've been heartbroken. This There'll be something else for you. We'll try and get you to something else as quickly as possible. But for sure, yeah, people are disappointed. We had, you know, we always have, and we always have people that don't summit. And yeah, I try to... Tell them it's, I understand. I do understand because I've been overwhelmed with disappointment. That goes away and, you know, the best people, they shake that off. They train hard. They, they understand 
why they didn't summit or what happened. Sometimes it's just bad. I took some clients in Ecuador in February. We got about 200 meters from the top of Cayambe and it, it was like minus 15 and it was like 70 kilometers wind. Our whole jackets were frozen. I looked at one of the clients and he was just like, I just can't take this anymore. And I was like, it's tough, dude. And so we went down, but that was extreme conditions. It's not really anyone's fault. You know, the, okay, technically he, he gave up, but understandably, no, it's in different scenarios. I, I've never had anybody like just throw the towel in for not a good reason. I always try to, you know, within the safe framework, I always try to encourage people to get further because I think sometimes you, you want to, and I had a corporate, I had a corporate thing in Scotland recently, we were climbing the UK's highest mountain. There was someone that, you know, weren't, but I managed to coax them up. And I've done that a few times. I coax people up the top. I said, come on, you can do a little bit more. And you normally can do more than you, you yes. think you can. Yes. Yes. I want to go back to disappointment on Everest if we can. And I'm sure you've had this conversation a million times and I'm going to ask you to have it one more, but I want to get into that mindset of disappointment and recognizing because listen, I would believe the people that are paying attention to this show and people that are paying attention to this conversation are wired like yourself, wired like myself, tending to push themselves a little further. How did you how did you make that decision that day? Because you said something about the alpinist who sent you the message said sometimes you got to just it's about staying alive. So you're on Everest, your goal, you spend a lot of money to climb to the top. You're in a moment where you're having to make a decision or somebody else is making the decision that you're not going to the top. How did you come to terms? Who made the call that we weren't going? Take me, can you take us to that moment when that happened? Yeah, so this was in, in 2021. It was the, the year, of the, you know, the worst year of the pandemic. Um, the year before 2020, Everest sees was, it, it didn't happen. No one went to, I remember. to even the base camp. Um, 2021, it was permitted I came from Ecuador. I'd been climbing for three months in Ecuador. I'd been training very hard. I knew I was in great shape. I knew I had a great chance to summit. And in my mind, I was like, I'm on this roll. I'll probably never get as good a preparation again. And I, and I think that's even, that's no, I was just at a time where everything was going so well. I was in incredible shape. And so I probably, I hadn't been on an 8,000 before. So I lacked a little bit of experience. But I was in great shape and I thought that would get me through. Um, as soon as we get, you know, people start getting sick. There's a lot of whispers about Corona or COVID and people start leaving. Some people get really sick. And anyway, we, you know, we just keep trying to do what we can do. I went up for my acclimatization, uh, went up to camp, nearly camp three, 7,000 meters, but was really sick when I came down. I had this chest infection, probably COVID. Mm -hmm. Didn't want to leave the expedition. So I went to rest in Lukla, which is one of the villages on the mm -hmm. Everest Base Camp trek, the first one. And I stayed in a hotel there for or a guest house for about a week. In my mind, I felt stronger. I went back, you know, and it was difficult to go back because I sort of got comfy again. But anyway, I was like, I've got to go back. And I went back and I went back to camp two. And when I was in camp two, waiting for my summit push or waiting for some better weather, I started to get quite sick. I had a fever and I had to be given oxygen. I just wasn't well. And we then had this kind of lockdown with a storm that lasted about four or five days. But at the end of it, the, the weather cleared and it was like the people that are going. And I was very much in the I'm going group. But it, it became quite apparent to me and to the Nepalese guys that I was with that I wasn't in, in condition to go. So I ended up... They said, yeah, look, and I, even I knew, I was like, yeah, I can't walk 20 meters. So I got, had a helicopter, took me from Camp 2 back to Kathmandu, and I had, a, I think, six or seven days in hospital to think about it. And yeah, the, over, the disappointment was overwhelming at the time. I think it was more so that then because 
you know, I didn't have this portfolio of experiences that I've had now. Now I'm doing adventures all the time. There's always the next thing that I'm planning. But then it was the beginning and it was the biggest thing I'd ever done. I thought, oh, I'll never do this again. And so now I, I won't climb Everest every year. I'm, I'm going to get one again. I'll get a chance again. Oh, yeah, 100%. 100%. Yeah, it was overwhelming at the time. I would say to, to people, if you are suffering from some kind of a disappointment, you need to find you know, a new project to get immersed. That's the fastest cure. So whatever it is, if you've had a business failure, either find a new job, start a new business and just keep moving forward. But the more time that you spend dwelling on it, you know, sure, you can, I could look at, there were lessons learned from that expedition. There's things I would do differently. There's different ways to prepare. Take that forward, but just dwelling on what's happened, that's a way to feed your disappointment where if you start a new project or try something, that's the quickest way to move on. Luckily, I fell straight into these rowing projects. So that, that became that became my, my focus. So I moved on fairly quickly. Interesting. I, I, Oliver, I find mountain climbing or trekking, not technical mountain climbing, because I haven't technically climbed, but trekking and so forth, such a wonderful metaphor for moving forward in life. I know because you think about climbing to the top of a peak and then down to the bottom of the peak, there's a physical representation of accomplishing something. Because you, you can see physically that you moved your body from that point to the top and then to the bottom. And it's, I encourage anybody, you know, in my circle, anybody listening or watching this, that if, to your point, if you're stuck, go and trek, go and climb a mountain. And you don't have to go climb Everest. Go like, to what you said, go climb Kilimanjaro. It's doable. Because the feeling of accomplishment, that you've accomplished something and you moved forward, I remarkable healing for me as I went through some personal challenges in my life, right? Climbing a mountain and climbing a mountain and climbing a mountain because anything before those mountains was in the past. You know what I'm trying to say with that metaphor? Because, it, 100%, because yeah. just by um, moving that, my two feet forward, I was able to accomplish something. I didn't have to go learn how to go play hockey or go play football. I just had to walk my foot one for the other, one for the other. And as long as I didn't look back, I was going to accomplish something. And what a powerful metaphor that was when I was stuck. A hundred percent. There's a lot of lessons that you can learn from climbing. That is definitely one. I think, you know, it's a great, it's a great way to, to see your past and see your future at the same time to digest Interesting. things, Interesting. Digest, digest things that have happened to you. Typically on these multi-day treks or climb, you, know, you have a lot of, you have a lot of time to think, you know, yes. so you can, you can get incredible clarity on situations, yes. situations in the past, you can see things unfolding very slowly in front of you. It's a great way to see what, you know, what you would like to happen or the direction that you would like your life to go in. Um, and it's a great way to experience the present moment. You'll probably never feel as dialed in to yourself, to your emotions, to your feelings as you would on a technical, or not a technical, but on a physical challenge like Kilimanjaro. You'll feel so in tune with yourself and when it's finished, you will, yeah, you'll have the sense of accomplishment. You will have this kind of energy that will last for weeks. I tell people if they're doing it for the first time, before you go, make a list of things you want to achieve when you get back, yes. because you will have so much energy. You'll be waking up in the morning, your whole, you'll be full of this joy and you'll be so productive. Yes. So you actually just want to have this list ready that you're, you're ready to get straight into it. You don't have this kind of, oh my God, what should I do with all this energy and time and Productivity. I think when I came back from Kilimanjaro the first time, I think I got about a year's worth, years work of work done in about six weeks. It lasted forever. I, I can relate to that so much. I felt like I could just accomplish anything after that trip, and it was just like, okay, I can go do this and do this, and it was, and I wanted to go and chase adventure because I felt so accomplishing after that.
Yeah, and I think you know that's what's interesting is when you start compounding these things. So you, you've done Kilimanjaro, and then you start, okay, I've done that, where can I take it now? And that, that's true in life as well, that things compound. And, and pro have to, you have to have a series of events that compound, and through that you make progress. Yeah, um, yes. It's very, yeah, it's, adventures are a great, a great way to, to initiate that. We've been chatting for 49 minutes with Oliver Brown here, live in the lab, live in the Business Athlete Performance Lab, talking Kilimanjaro, talking adventure, talking about moving forward. In the Alpine community, I think the old saying goes that if you want a trophy, you climb Everest. If you want respect, you climb K2. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's, that's probably true. I can testify that I was rescued from, ca from, from camp two in a helicopter and I was in a hospital in a Kathmandu an hour later. If, if you have an emergency on K2, there's no one is coming to get you. Um, it is a very wild and remote place. There are no commercial operators. There's no commercial helicopter. There's at least 10 commercial helicopters operating at any one time in the Kumbu Valley in the Everest region. In, in K2, the, you, you change the risk. No, totally. It's totally flipped upside down. No one's coming to get you. So yeah, it's technically harder also, but it's harder psychologically knowing that there's less, there's less, sorry, what's the word? Yeah, there's less. You have less room for error, don't you? Exactly. Less margin of error. Sorry. Thank you. Yeah, you absolutely do. Yeah. Yeah. Have you been to, have you been to the Azores, Pico, the little, the volcano that popped out of the Atlantic there? It's, it's quite an experience I was fortunate to do last May. You know, you know what I'm re referring to? Yeah, no, I haven't been, but I've heard amazing things about it. I heard it's like Jurassic Park. I got to tell you, Oliver, it's a spect, it is. It's like Hawaii. Out in I've never been to Hawaii. My, my wife's been to Hawaii and, and I've never been to Hawaii, but when we were there together, she's like, wow, this reminds me of Hawaii. But I got to tell you, when I climbed Pico, so I've, Kilimanjaro, Inca Trail, some some real <laughs> modest climbs. Pico was steep. It's a, it's a quick, it's a day trek. It's an overnight trek, but we climbed to the top. Um, we stayed overnight in the crater and then did the peak in the morning. And I cannot encourage you enough. If you want to go for a quick haul out to the Azores and do a wonderful climb, and it would, in my opinion, it would be a great climb for your customers to go do in advance of a Kilimanjaro climb. Why? Because you get to climb yeah. up. It's steep. You do an overnight camp. So if you can survive that, okay, I can do an overnight camp at the top of a mountain. It's not technically very high, but it's very steep climb and really enjoyable. I really could not encourage you enough to check that out. And another one that I found really intriguing as well, uh, all of that was Mount Baru, uh, Volcan Baru in Panama, where when you get to the top of that, it's the only place in the world where you can look to your left and see the Atlantic Ocean, look to your right and see the Pacific Ocean. Really cool. Yeah, amazing. Yeah, really. Yeah, really. there's many places to go. That's the the great thing about being an adventurer that there's a there's never there's never a shortage of places to go. I think you know, the places that I'm most excited, new places that I want to go that I'm excited about. One is Uganda, um, uh, yeah. and I think the other one is Mongolia. Interesting. Those are two places that I'm excited about. Oliver, um, talk to Mount Kenya. So I've been looking at perhaps doing a fall climb, and now after being on this call with you for 50 minutes, I'm more energized than ever about going to do something uh, because I got all this energy listening to you speak about your adventures. I have been. I, I was in Kenya last year. Spent some time in, in eastern Kenya. Spent some time on the coast in Kenya, safariing, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Spent a lot of time staring at Mount Kenya. You know, after staring at Mount Kilimanjaro. What do you know about Mount Kenya? Have you climbed? Did you have interest in climbing it? Or is it, um, or is it what's your thoughts? Yes. So in the summer I had with my company, I had back to back Kilimanjaro climb. I think I had four days in between and I came down from the summit and I put this post up and somebody in Kenya saw it 
and they sent me a message saying, "Hey, I'm a I'm an operator in in Kenya. Would you are you interested? Is your company interested in Mount Kenya?" And I said, "Yeah, we are." And he said, "You should come and climb it." And so, in in the gap that I had between these two expeditions, I went to I went there and I climbed Mount Kenya. I didn't climb the true summit, but I climbed the trekking peak. The true summit is a very technical rock climb. Yes, that takes a bit longer. I just didn't have time, but I would like to climb the true summit. But yeah, I climbed the the trekking peak. It's a very beautiful place. It's different to Kilimanjaro. Kilimanjaro is a mountain by itself. Okay, you have Mount Maru and you have um, little smaller peaks, but you really feel like you're on this you know, this one peak sticking. You know, whereas yes. Mount Everest, there's a series of some you walk through this valley. It's very picturesque and it's much. Um, there's far less people. When I was there, there was me, my guide, another client of another company, and his guides. We went to the, it's Lenana Peak is the sun, the, tre- the trekking peak with four people on the whole in the whole area. Wow. Whereas in Kilimanjaro, on any day there'll be a hundred people at the summit. So it's a different kettle of fish. Uh, Kenya is, is an amazing country. There's a lot to do there. You've got you know, the safari. You've got the beach. Yeah. Nairobi is a very is a bustling metropolis. It's a great place. So. Definitely worth checking out Mount Kenya, but it's slightly different experience to Kilimanjaro. I wouldn't say, you know, I wrote a blog on this on my website, what's better. It's not the one is better or worse. They're different, both equally great, but for different reasons. Yeah, I have found that, I'm glad you said that, Oliver, because I find that with all of my experience, I don't think it's fair to say that, uh, for example, I went to the Galapagos. I don't know if you've been to the Galapagos or not. You know, you'd think Galapagos. It was probably, if not a greater experience than Kilimanjaro, but yet I wouldn't want to compare them. You know, so to your point, yeah, yeah. You, you can't compare what's better because they all have their beauty, don't they? They all have their magic and they all have their fallacies as well. Yeah, I haven't actually, I've been to Ecuador twice and I lived in Quito during the pandemic, but I haven't mm-hmm. been to Galapagos. I would love to go. I heard it's amazing, but yeah, there's, it's futile comparing these things. They're all great in their own different way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, 56 minutes past the hour we're with Oliver Brown working our way towards the end of our adventure a discussion with Oliver today who's so gracious to spend some time with myself here live in the lab Oliver let's we spent most of our time talking adventure which is what I love and uh, let's talk for a few minutes about business how do you manage the bits of of summit adventure and all and basically how do you manage the office stuff the office stuff when you're out there growing the adventure business how would you how do you balance the two yeah, I think that's the biggest challenge for me is that do I want to do I want to have a business or do I want do I want to be an adventurer? And I'm mm. trying to marry the two. This started as a lifestyle business, but I'm I want to make it into a serious self-sustaining business. I think I'm trying to do things correctly. I'm trying to adopt processes that I see and apply them in my business in terms of how we scale. I'm also being realistic about what's achievable in a sort of medium, short to medium term and on a little budget, on a small budget, because I want to retain control. So yeah, I'm, I'm taking it you know, step by step, moving slowly. I don't have great ambitions to scale too fast. There's a manageable rate that we can scale. We are, you know, it's a boutique business that is very service orientated. So the main thing is that this level of service that we're delivering is consistent over time. And so when new itineraries, new guides, you know, people come, we, we need to make that's my main priority is that people are getting the same experience 
they're having the same level of service, uh, care and attention across all the trips from all the guys. So that is, you can't fast track that if you do. And I see this when I'm in, you know, I'm, you know, when I'm in the Himalayas, for example, and I see operators that have grown very quickly, very fast, you know, all their customers are complaining. And we're, we're trying to grow as a business. Really, we want to remain a boutique that is known for having great expeditions in great places with great people and providing a really good service. So it's, it's going to grow slowly. And it's a 10-year plan rather than a three-year plan. Ah, back to that. Uh, there's no rush, right? Let's take this over 10 years instead of try to get it all done in yep. three, right? Yeah. Last question for you, Oliver. To somebody who's looking to select an adventure company or an adventure partner to say, Hey, I want to go climb Kilimanjaro. I want to go to Ecuador. I, I myself spend a lot of time talking to people doing research. But what would you advise somebody who's looking to achieve a big, hairy, audacious goal? What would you advise them? How should they select their trekking partner? How would they find you or how would they find somebody that they should trust knowing that knowing what they don't know, they're going somewhere halfway across the world and they're going to go climb a mountain. And like, how do I find a company to work with? What would you advise that? Yeah. So for me, like, you know, when I started climbing, you know, when I first started climbing, my, my main selection criteria was cost. I didn't have much money. You know, when I climbed Kilimanjaro, I just went for the cheapest operator. And that was, enough. you know, when I got into more technical climbing and also more experiential, like for example, the next climb I did after Kilimanjaro was Mont Blanc and I wanted to go and have an, a certain type of experience. And so I was looking for a certain type of guide. You know, I made this list of all the guides I could find in Chamonix. And then I reached out to them and I said, listen, I'm looking to do this, but I'm looking to do it in this kind of way. Is this something that you would be interested in? And most of them said, sorry, no, I don't do that. It's too difficult, blah, blah, blah. One guide, Ben Bradford, this was, I wanted to do a single day ascent of Mont Blanc where you're going to the bottom to the top and back in one yes, go, yes. about 18 hours. Most people take three to four days. Ben Bradford replied saying, I've never done that, but I've always wanted to. I will do it with you. And so... He's now my go-to guy in Chamonix. And that's and similar when I moved to Ecuador, I found a guy and he was actually in Argentina. He was had some ridiculous number of ascents of Aconcagua. And I said, I want to come and climb Aconcagua with you because I can see you're the master. I wanted to hear the stories. I wanted, I wanted to be around this guy. And he said, look, you can't come. It's the pandemic. But I recommend you go to Ecuador and speak to this guy, Ossie Frere. So I called Ossie. He told me a little bit about himself. He'd climbed Everest without supplemental oxygen. I was like, wow, this is the kind of person I want to be around. This is an elite performer that I'm going to benefit from being around him. So I think it depends on what your circumstances, what you want to get out of it. For, for me, I, I need in not the position I'm in now, it's about who I go with. What have they done? What style are we going to do it in? Where are we going to stay also? I like staying in interesting places. It doesn't have to be the height of luxury, but I'm always looking for something that's slightly different. I think if you're, if you're new to it, a personal recommendation is best. You know, speak to someone that's already done yes. an adventure. You have a good experience. Did you enjoy it? Was that a good person? I think that's a great way to start. But otherwise, try and research online and do some due diligence. If, if you're in the U.S., there's, there's some great um, U.S. companies, Gatterson, Madison Mountaineering, Alpenglow, the, these kind of companies. And, and you'll get a sense of what these guys are like. They've got a big online presence. You can speak to them. But I like being around elite performers. I think that is, you can learn a lot from elite performers. And in mountaineering, there's very few elite performers that aren't nice guys. In mountaineering seems to have a great filter where there's a lot of nice people. And you don't have to be intimidated or worried. Elite performers are not going to treat you badly. But they're going to 
They're going to tell you everything that they've done in a kind way, and you're going to learn a lot from it. So that's my approach anyway. I love it. I love it. And those are philosophies of, of the business athlete performance lab. It's bringing elite performance. Uh, so you said, so I lied. I have more questions for you. So you mentioned a mountain that has been on my list to climb, and maybe we should be climbing it together. Aconcagua. Yeah, I mean, that, um, it's one of the great mountains. I haven't climbed it. No, I've gone to. a couple of Februarys ago before the pandemic, actually. I was scheduled to go with a colleague of mine after we climbed Kilimanjaro. We were both going to go do Kongwa. Um, it didn't work out for me. He went. They did not summit. Uh, it was not a good situation, apparently. Um, but it's always been on my list to go. Interested? Should we do it together sometime next year? Yeah, I'm definitely interested. I think, yeah, we can talk offline February? about it. Like a February <laughs> time frame? I think that's kind of time frame to do. Isn't it January, February, I think, isn't it? Yeah, I think February is a good time. Yeah. 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 So you have not climbed Akakongo? No, I haven't. No. Interesting. But I'd like to. You know, when I first started climbing, I was very much in the seven summits yes. mindset. And I think me as well. As I, got, so as I got more experience, as I had more experience, I kind of let that go. Uh, and now the, the thing that I'm doing, uh, they have, I have a sort of, and they're more interesting to me. I'm not saying that the seven summits aren't interesting. And Mount Vincent is one of the best things you can do in your life, I'm sure. But have you done Vincent? No, I haven't, but I would love to. But that, oh, you know, it's on know, my list too. Yeah, it's everyone on says that's incredible. So this summer, I, I went climbing in Juarez in Peru as my kind of summer holiday. And I'm more interested in technical climb with a, with a high degree of self reliance. I would say that's what's interesting oh, to me. Interesting. So I could do Aconcagua. I would probably, I'd want to do it. So not, not unguided and with no support to carry my own kit, look after myself. So that, that would be the style that I'd want to do it in. It, yeah, it's a great, I love Argentina. I used to live there when I played polo. We played there every winter. We'd go out to Argentina, we'd take our clients, we'd look to buy horses, look to improve. So it's, it's a great country. It's a great place for sure. Oliver, I have absolutely enjoyed this conversation and I feel like we could probably keep having it for a long time. I, I, there's a lot of similarities going on here. You, very interesting person. You've done some really cool things that uh, I think a lot of people who would, would aspire to achieve. One last comment from you. Achieving the top of the mountain is one thing, but nobody ever thinks about going down. Yeah, I think just from what you just said, I didn't set out to make other people think that I was doing interesting things. I wanted to keep myself interested, you know, and it's, you're only, it's, you know, you're only here one, you want to be the main character in the story of your life. I'm trying to do interesting things It might change over time. I might stay at home more, do less adventures, but for the moment, yeah, I'm trying to compile this portfolio of interesting things. So keep taking the steps, keep making progress, uh, keep enjoying. That's my plan anyway. Oliver, thanks for coming in today. Any final words for our listeners and for the viewers today, live in the lab with Oliver Brown? No, I think the main thing I would say to people is don't over, don't overthink it too much. Just go for it, whatever it might be. Just go, say yes, get into the habit of saying yes. If someone says, come to the theater tomorrow night, just say yes. You know, if someone says, hey, let's go and climb a mountain, just say yes. Overthinking is, overthinking, procrastination, these are useless things. So just say yes. And if you've got an idea that you want to go and climb a mountain, just make it happen. I, I did all my climbing by myself because, you know, you could never find anyone to do it with you. And if, yeah. if you waited for other people, you never got anywhere. So I did all my climbing mostly by myself. I've now got some climbing partners. Obviously, I've got my clients, but just go for it. Don't wait around. Don't wait for other people. Just keep moving. That's my advice to people. Just go for it. That's the advice from Oliver it. Brown today, live in the lab on Wednesday, September 13th with your host, Keith Bellis. Oliver, thanks for joining us today. My pleasure. Thanks very much. Awesome. Thank you. Oliver, stick around while I stop the stream. And we're all going to see you guys tomorrow with Nicole Bernard, live in the lab, noon central time. 
um, with myself, Keith Billis. Uh, and until then, have a great day, everyone.